We've been speaking on the subject of healing, specifically divine healing, and it has been our desire to be comprehensive, to not be shallow, to ask ourselves the hard questions and learn what there is to learn. And because I believe this is one of the tools that God has given the church. So what we've done in the last three weeks, two weeks ago I spoke on healing from Matthew. Last week, healing from Mark, just looking at key passages where healings took place in those two books and, and drawing from that things I, I saw that were kind of unique uh, in reference to the subject of healing. And today we're going to look at healing from the book of John. We skip Luke because it goes with Acts. So next week we'll tackle Luke. And But in the book of Matthew, we saw that Jesus healed all kinds of sickness and disease, everything from injuries to uh, things that people are born with. We saw that he healed problems that were demonic. Uh, some physical ailments have a root that is a spiritual root, and he dealt with those. He showed his willingness to heal by healing everyone that came to him, asking him for healing. We saw that he fulfilled prophecy by healing the sick. Matthew chapter 8, it says he was healing uh, in the evening. He healed people and was casting out spirits and healing everybody that was sick and fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53.4 that says He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now for years the church has preached that Jesus took our sicknesses on the cross. Who's heard that? He became sick so that we might be well. I've even preached that. But in reality, He became sin that we might become righteous. He bore our sins on the cross. Here in Matthew chapter 8, He begins bearing our sicknesses before the cross. So just as our Redeemer, He is our salvation, He is our redemption, He came to the earth ultimately to die on the cross to provide eternal life for us. But prior to that, He began bearing our sicknesses. And I believe we serve the same Jesus today. He's willing to bear our sicknesses for us. We saw that He provided, He proved His power to forgive sins by healing sinners. Uh, we saw that He healed all those who touched His garment for healing. We saw that He had compassion for hurting people. And the word compassion is sorrow for the misfortune of another accompanied by a strong desire to relieve the pain and remove the cause. You know, some people have just sympathy to give you. Oh, I'm so sorry, but I'm so sorry you're cold, but they won't do anything about that. Won't give you the coat that you need. And other people, they just want you fixed. They have no sympathy for you. Just get over it. But Christ had both dynamics working in His life. He had deep sorrow for the misfortune of another, but He moved beyond that and did something about it. He relieved their pain and removed the cause. And we saw that Jesus gave His disciples the power to heal and commanded them to use it. And we saw that the Great Commission included and includes everything Jesus commanded. And we ended that, that, that Sunday with avenues to healing that sometimes healing comes by the laying on of hands and anointing with oil, but sometimes it comes by getting things right with somebody that you need to reconcile with. Sometimes healing comes when you repent of being judgmental. Sometimes healing comes when you are persistent in your asking. Some of you are there. You just need to keep on asking the Lord. Sometimes healing comes by prayer and fasting. Sometimes healing comes when we humble ourselves. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Sometimes healing comes by... Uh, God telling you to do some unusual thing and, and He heals you as you're doing it. We looked at healing from the book of Matthew. We saw that Jesus healed sick people both privately and publicly. It wasn't about making a name for Himself. In fact, He told people, you know, don't tell 
anybody that you've been healed. And of course, they told, and, and that created the scenario where people would tear houses up to get to him. So he'd have to go out in the wilderness and do his healing. And, and around the Galilee are these acoustical meadows where he could stand and preach and thousands of people could hear him. There's a unique uh, natural phenomenon with the depressions that go around that. That's the lowest freshwater lake on the earth in terms of elevation. And there's this acoustical dynamic there in these meadows surrounding that lake where you can speak in a normal voice without amplification and be heard a long ways away. And so that's where Christ went and people would come to him for healing. And, and there he uh, did great things. Um, we saw that he appointed twelve to preach, to heal, and to cast out devils. And after his resurrection, in the end of the book, he commissioned the eleven to preach and to baptize new believers. And those new believers would also minister with signs following being healing, would also be part of their ministry. We ended that teaching with looking at possible reasons. Someone may not be healed. This is not a comprehensive list. This is not everything. We don't know the heart of God in every situation. We don't know the will of God in every situation. But these are possible reasons. And so if these obstacles are in your life, uh, don't be condemned. Just make an adjustment. Um, one may be that you're just pursuing healing for your body and God wants to make you whole as a person. Maybe you have a broken heart and... Uh, you're vulnerable to sickness. Get that broken heart healed and you'll be more healthy. Your immune system will be stronger. It may be that you need to be open to wise counsel. You know, if the items you're consuming carry warning labels on them, you need to heed the wisdom right on that product. Um, it, it could be other things. Anyway, so we're not going to preach that sermon again, but it's available by tape if you'd like it. Today I want to look at healing from the book of John. And then in the second half of this would be with a look at some letters that I received and answers to those letters as, as I've attempted. Uh, one question was raised, what is the difference in healings and miracles? To me, it's real simple. When a sick person or injured person is cured, that is a healing. But when bread and fish is multiplied, that is a miracle. When demons are cast out, that's deliverance. But when a storm is instantly stopped, that is a miracle. When someone you pray for is healed, that is healing. But when something happens, like happened in Mexico, our team of people went to Mexico, and the Lord led them to prophesy that when the locusts who had been there for how long? 20 years. When the locusts would leave, it would be a sign that God was removing the curse from their community. And before that service was over, the locusts that they had heard nonstop for 20 years were gone. And for the first time in 20 years, they could hear the river on the other side of the mountain. That's a miracle. So there's healings and there's miracles. And so we need both working in our life. God cares about all of our issues. All right, looking right quick at the book of John, chapter 4. talks about a certain nobleman whose son was sick in Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus, verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. For some reason, God expects belief. In more than one place, it's recorded that Jesus couldn't heal very many people in his hometown because of their unbelief. 
And here he wants this guy not to have unbelief. And he says, hey, you need to see me do some stuff and then we'll talk about your son. But the nobleman was desperate. He said, sir, come down before my child dies. I believe. I mean, he was just desperate. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. And look at the next phrase. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which would be about one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour that Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household believed. So in that case, Jesus healed the child with just his word. Some people have been healed just by somebody speaking the word. Be healed. They receive that word and they're made whole. Reading the scriptures has brought healing to many people. So that's one avenue for healing. Next point. Jesus healed a man who had an illness caused by sin. Who knows? Sin can create a scenario for you to get sick. It, it can do. It's not always the case. But in this case, it was. John chapter 5, verse 2 talks about this pool called Bethesda at the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. It had five porches. Verse 3, And in these porches lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. I don't understand that. It's just there. All right. Verse 5, Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? You know, sometimes there is a scenario called sympathy addiction. A person really draws strength from not being well. And so Jesus was asking him this question, maybe for that reason, I don't know, verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made them well. Now I want you to notice something. Everywhere in the Gospels we see that people come to Jesus for healing, He healed them. But in this occasion, people weren't coming to Him for healing. He went to them and healed one man and left the rest of them laying there. Did not God not love the rest of those? Yes. But God's got a big plan. Who knows that? Got a big plan. And so it's explained by my next point. Jesus only ministered to those the Father told Him to. So obviously the Father told Him, you heal everybody that comes to you for healing. But on this occasion, the Father told Him, you go into that pool and there's a guy that, who's been there for a long time. I want you to raise him up. Look at 
John 5.16, the same chapter. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath. They were upset. He had people carrying their bed on the day they're supposed to be resting. But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. I guess they had a theology that said, you know, every seventh day God just sits around. But Jesus said, hey, we've been busy. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Him because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. That truth is borne out in verse 30 of that same chapter, verse 38 of chapter 6, verses 28 and 29 of chapter 8, verses 49 and 50 of chapter 12, and verse, 14, uh, verse 10 of chapter 14. So, I mean, it is a concrete truth that Jesus came to do the Father's will. And here's an occasion of Him going into a place full of sick people, and He didn't clean the place out. Now, the book of John ends with two chapters, chapter 20 and chapter 21. And both of those chapters end with these words that everything Jesus did wasn't recorded. And if it was recorded, the world couldn't have handled the books. So maybe He did go back in there on another occasion and clean the place out. I don't know. I know this, He sure put Luke out of business. Luke became a writer for some reason. I wonder why. He was a doctor. Next point. Jesus healed a blind man who was born blind, not because of sin, but so that God could reveal His works in him. This guy was blind so God could give him eyes to see. I don't understand that. John 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, He saw a man who was born blind from birth. Who was blind from birth. His disciples asked Him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That He was born blind. Now, they had a Theology is just like you hear over the airwaves today of generational curses that if something's wrong with you, somebody let the devil in. And so something went wrong. Who can we blame? You know, it goes back to Eden, the blame game. Who can we blame for this guy's problem? What caused this? This isn't right. In Ezekiel, I believe God addressed that issue when He quoted their... Um, one of their proverbs that they come up with said, if the parents eat sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. And God says that is not always the current case. So just because your grandpa's in prison doesn't mean you're cursed. Just because you may have been born illegitimately doesn't mean you have to live with a generational curse. It doesn't even mean that you're cursed necessarily. It can be the case. But when people become legalistic, they form these concrete rules and label each other. And so the disciples were tempted to do this because they're just disturbed as to how a child could be born blind. Jesus answered, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Oh, there's a whole nother ministry. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. I like to believe that, you know, the dust that man was made with was used to make new eyeballs for this guy. 
He said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So this man was blind, not because his parents had sinned or he had sinned, but because God was going to heal him. Does that tilt your thinking? Let it tilt it. Just let it tilt. You know, us Western people, uh, to us, everything is about answers. But to Eastern people, everything's about questions. And the longer you live, you're going to, the more you're going to find out what the real questions of life are. And that's one of them. Why would a kid be born blind so that God could heal? I don't know. I just know he got healed. He was excited. Next point. Jesus' healing ministry attracted large crowds, but even he did not make believers out of everyone. John 6, 2. A great multitude followed because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. All right? So miracles attracted huge crowds. Chapter 12, verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before him, they did not believe in him. Large crowds don't necessarily become believers. Why is that? I believe this, because the human heart is so wicked, it can come up with reasons to not believe. The human heart is so wicked, it can come up with theories to explain away even the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at what happened in John 12, 28. Jesus said these words, Father, glorify Your name. Verse 28 ends with, A voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. There are even his opponents that blamed his healing ministry on demons. Said he's casting out demons by the power of a stronger demon. So the condition of our heart is real important that we're open to believe. Not saying to be gullible, but our hearts must be open and willing to believe in spite of how we feel or in spite of whether or not it makes us popular with other people. All right, let's get to some questions. First, we'll start with a humorous note. This is one question that was given to me. Came a letter, said, My grandmother, who we called Nanny, believed that Vicks Vapor Rub could cure any time of respiratory condition. To that end, it was until I was old enough to outrun her that she would wrestle me to the ground and proceed to coat my throat, mouth, and chest with globs of the stuff. One day I managed to crawl into the car in the garage in an attempt to escape from her, but she persuaded me to come out after threatening to pour gasoline under the car and lighten it. <laughs> come out and take your medicine like a man. Being only three at the time, I respectfully complied with her wishes. Anyway, for some reason, I stopped having any respiratory trouble when, I, when Nanny was around. <laughs> and this is before I knew anything at all about rebuking the devil when you feel bad. I tried rebuking Nanny once, but that is a whole other story. 
So my questions are as follows. Do you believe Vicks Vapor Rub has healing power? And can God work through Vicks Vapor Rub? Signed, a recovering Vicks Vapor Rub victim. That sounds like a yes or no question to me. Right to you? Yeah. Yep. Vicks Vapor Rub has healing power, and yes, God can use it. Amen. P.S. You know the thought of sins of the father being passed down several generations? The same goes for grandmother's sins. My kids hate Vicks Vapor Rub. <laughs> what are your thoughts on healing through medicine and prayer? I think the medical field would not be as advanced as it is were it not for Christianity. The desire to see the Great Commission fulfilled has propelled the church over the centuries to seek wholeness for people. And that's why you have Catholic hospitals, Baptist hospitals, Methodist hospitals. Even Oral Roberts had a hospital for a while. And uh, that hospital is still being used for, for God. It's just under a different, a different uh, corporation. So yes, God does use medicine. Now, the old-time Pentecostals believed it was a lack of faith to go to the doctor. And I saw through that as a kid because sometimes when Jesus would heal somebody, He'd say, go show yourself to the priest. What's the matter, Jesus? Don't you believe they're healed? Why do they have to go to the priest? Well, it was Old Testament custom. It was in the law to, to uh, live in quarantine from people, especially if you were a leper, not be around infected people. You have to go to a priest first Submit to the priest's judgment and authority before you'd be allowed to come back into society. So Christ was flowing with that, but also a priest would confirm whether or not Jesus healed them. Therefore, even if you're healed, I recommend going to the doctor. Check it out. And if you're not healed, I recommend doing something instead of just sitting around saying, I don't have a cold. Do something. Pray first. Pray first. And when God heals you, give Him the glory. Don't say it must have been a 12-hour virus. So here's some of my own questions. If Jesus heals today, then why do I get sick? Jesus heals, alright? Jesus heals. Sickness is in the world, alright? Jesus hadn't healed the world. He heals people of sickness. But sickness is in the world. He didn't cure the world of sickness. Sickness is still present. Death is still present. The Bible acknowledges that. And every time you go to a funeral, you hear that acknowledge. You hear those Scriptures read that say, there's an enemy called death that one day is going to be under our feet. Who's looking forward to that day? So, why do I still get sick? Because I still need for Jesus to heal me. That's why. And if you sin, so you can repent. Hallelujah. Number two, if Jesus heals today, is there only one way that He heals? Oh man, there's so many ways. We saw that He healed with His Word. We saw in the book of Mark where He sent out the twelve to heal the sick and preach and they anointed people with oil. We see that practice uh, enforced in James chapter 5. So he healed people through deliverance. People touched the hem of his garment. We just read where he made mud with the spit and clay 
and healed somebody. Um, in the book of Acts, we see people healed by people, by Peter's shadow and a napkin that had been prayed over sent by Paul to sick people. Claws, prayer claws were being sent out and people were healed. In our own ministry and even in our own lives, we've seen people healed who's written a, a thank note, thank you note to God for healing them. Years ago, Yvette and I had a friend in Houston named Linda Nall. Linda Nall had a growth on her neck that was so bad she'd wear really high collars and turtlenecks and things to hide it. And one day Yvette prayed with her and she wrote a note and put it on her mirror. On, on this note she said, Jesus, I thank you that you healed me 2,000 years ago when you came to the earth to bear our sicknesses. And I thank you that I'm healed today. And she wrote the note down the day that she asked him. And every day, you know, she'd comb her hair. She'd see that note there. And so while she's getting herself ready for the day or for church or whatever, she's thanking God that she's healed in advance of the symptoms. And one day before church, three days later, she's doing her normal little routine that she had developed and looked at her neck and it was gone. Didn't know when it had left. Came into church just yelling, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. So God uses many different ways to heal people. So I encourage you, if you're sick, pursue healing in every way possible. Number three, if Jesus heals today, then is it wrong for me to go to the doctor? I think we already dealt with that. Luke was a physician. Jesus is known as a great physician. I don't think uh, doctors who... Our unbelievers are going to receive special punishment because they were doctors. I do think this, if God wants you to be sick, then don't go to the doctor because that would be an act of rebellion. I knew an old-time Pentecostal preacher. He was an American from Humble, Texas, and he lived in Zimbabwe when we were there, Rhodesia at the time. And his name was Brother Nix. They called him Pop Nix. And he did not believe in going to the doctor. He did not believe in taking medicine. But he suffered from high blood pressure. And he heard that garlic was good for that. But he didn't want to take those garlic tablets because that was too much like, like uh, medicine. So he ate raw garlic cloves. If people gave him high blood pressure, they no longer did. <laughs> I've been cured anyway. It's worked like, oh, brother, please, Lord, would you please heal this brother? He was tough as nails. I mean, he told a story. He said he had an appendicitis attack. All the symptoms were there. It was appendix. And his appendix ruptured and he refused to go to the doctor. And for weeks, pus ran through his pores. He was sick anyway. To hear him tell the story was horrible. See, your appetite just left for lunch. <laughs> and he recovered and lived to be an old man. He was a tough guy. And then there was also the belief, don't go to the doctor because God's the healer. And if you don't get healed, then God wants you sick and your suffering is going to bring Him glory. That sure tilts my mind. Anyway, we won't move on from there anymore. It's not wrong to go to the doctor. But, you know, get prayer first. Let you know, Make room for God. and Don't be one who just leans on the flesh without seeking the Lord. Number four, if Jesus heals today, then why doesn't everyone we pray for get healed? I don't know. We've seen some possible reasons in these last two weeks and even today, but that's not necessarily covering all the cases. Um, on the video promoting that we just watched, 
for Child Evangelism Fellowship. You saw Johnny Erickson Tata, did you not? I didn't know that was going to, I didn't know she was on there. That's just awesome. So we mentioned her last week. She is in the face of all the healing theologians that have all the answers. As a teenager, in a diving accident, she became a quadriplegic. Today, she's still not healed, but she is an incredible, mighty witness for Christ. The grace of God is on her, and she certainly has received the fulfillment of the promise in Hebrews that tells us we can run to the throne of grace to find strength in time of need. And God gives her strength to live life even though she's not healed as though she is. And does great things. Travels around the world. Impacting. More people know about her than know about all of us. God's hand is on her. Next question. I've had this asked to me. If Jesus heals today, then why don't you guys go and clean out the hospitals? Good question. But remembering Jesus' own ministry was one that he only did what the Father told him to. And we actually have precedent where he went to a kind of a hospital where people were waiting for those waters to be troubled and he healed one person. So if God leads you to go to the hospital and try to clean the place out, go for it. But I'm telling you, you're going to meet some problems with the privacy laws that are now in place. When I first moved to Granbury, our little hospital here in town had a setup where every day there was a pastor on duty as a chaplain. And so I got to rotate in our hospital every other week, Monday morning. I would visit every patient in the hospital and pray for every patient in the hospital that would let me pray for them. But when new management came and new laws came into place, you no longer can do that. That's an invasion of privacy. In fact, now... You have to be careful because of the law with your prayer requests. If you mention someone's health problem without their being in agreement to it, you could be sued because you have damaged them. Example, if they have some disease, they could lose their job if their job knew about it. So that Unless they say, tell it to the church, ask them first. All right, We just have to be careful. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But I do have a unique story uh, in reference to cleaning out the hospital. Can you all put that picture up there? This is a picture of a friend of mine, Philip Morris and his lovely wife, Maribel. He went to Bible school with me, Gulf Coast Bible College in Houston. He's a Vietnam veteran. He served two tours of duty there. He has a master's degree in counseling. He's not a dingling. In 1984... He was living in Spring Branch, which is on the west side of Houston. It's now part of Houston. And the Lord led him to begin to minister to anybody that he could, as the Lord led him, at Sam Houston Hospital in Spring Branch. Spring Branch is west of Houston. Just I-10 runs through the middle of it. So one day a week, he would go into Sam Houston Hospital and minister to people, primarily in one of the wings, and saw some people healed. He even saw a blind guy start screaming, after he prayed for him, as he said, I see light. The next time he went back there, the guy was gone. The last time he went, he noticed that wing was closed. It was completely empty. And before he got out of there, after praying with some other people, he found out security was looking for him. They had his name 
They knew who he was. And uh, one of them just bumped him into the hall and said, Are you Philip Morris? Yes, I am. Come with me. And he walked to the door and said, You are never to come back to here again unless a member of your church is sick. Get out of here. So Philip thought, Well, let me just give him one, one try. He says, Sir, if you were to die today, <laughs> attempted to evangelize and made the security guard furious, threatened him with, something or other, and so Phil had to leave. Hospitals are there for the sick, but they do have to make money. Don't you know that? Tremendous overhead. So, just for what it's worth, that is a bit of information there in reference to that question. Number six, if Jesus is the healer, then why are we supposed to minister to the sick? Because He told us to. He's the head, we're His body. He even said we would do greater works. We're to continue His ministry. We're His ambassadors, His representatives. It's one of the things we're to do. And the Bible reiterates this. Number seven, if Jesus is a healer, then, does we, then why does He allow the fake healers to do what they do? Well, why, why does He allow any form of wickedness to go on? Why does He allow people to curse Him? Why does He allow wickedness to continue? The snore is not over. He certainly gave us plenty of warnings about deceivers that would come in the last days and about false prophets. Number eight, if Jesus is a healer, does He do so because of mercy or because of the new covenant? I used to preach because of the covenant we have. Yes. So I looked up all the times the word covenant is used in the New Testament. And everywhere it's used, it points to a handful of things that the covenant is about. It's about dealing with our sin. In fact, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament said, this is the covenant that I will make with my people. I will write my law in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So the covenant is all about knowing Him. All about knowing Him. All about knowing Him. And so I see that as including healing. But to make demands on God because of your covenant as though you have some kind of contract. And then when the contract isn't fulfilled to condemn the poor sick person, that's got to stop. That's got to stop. This is two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament contains the Old Covenant, but everything in it has to do with the covenant, but it also has to do with the history of the people living in that covenant. You understand that? The New Testament is about the covenant that Jesus came to make, but it has everything to do with people living in the midst of that covenant. And Paul wrote about one of his fellow apostles who was sick and, and was sad that people knew he was sick. Well, didn't he know his covenant rights? Yes, yes, yes. I think as Americans, we just kind of filter everything down into these little capsules to simplify it so we don't have to live in relationship, walk in humility, have faith and trust when we don't understand. Anyway, I better hush. I'll get in trouble. So I'm not saying Jesus is a healer 
isn't part of the New Covenant. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I can't find a Scripture directly saying that. Alright? The New Covenant deals with our sin. He became sin on the cross. He bore our sins on the cross. He bore our sicknesses before the cross because of who He is. But He certainly heals because of mercy. So I'm not saying healing isn't in the New Covenant and that you don't have a contract to claim the fulfillment of. I'm just not able to say that myself. So if you find a verse I haven't seen, please. Who wants a pastor that's honest? Hello. If the emperor has no clothes, let's stop pretending that he does. Amen? If Jesus is a healer, number nine, why do some Christians make me feel condemned when I'm not well? Let's, let's address this with reading one of these letters and then um, my answer to it and we'll deal with that in the answer. I've had migraine. Alan, I've had migraines for 30 years. I prayed and prayed and prayed some more. I've gone through deliverances. I've had people anoint me with oil several times. I've rebuked the spirit of infirmity. I've prayed for God to show me if there's something I have done or am doing that is causing me not to be healed. And yet I still have to deal with them from time to time. The way I've dealt with it is so as not to be angry with God or think there must be something wrong with me that God does not want to heal them is that God is sovereign and there must be a purpose in it. What I have trouble with, what I have trouble with is when people tell me to receive my healing and believe and confess that I'm healed, but I have a problem saying I'm healed when I'm suffering with unbearable pain and throwing up because of the pain. That is like being in denial or lying. When I'm hurting beyond what I can almost stand, am I supposed to say I'm healed? Another thing I deal with is people insinuating that I've not prayed right or there's something I'm doing or sin in my life that is keeping me from being healed. I personally don't believe my Heavenly Father would withhold healing because I haven't prayed a specific way or done this formula or that. What is your thought on that and how am I to respond? It's like they heap guilt on you for being sick. Here's my answer. What I'm hoping to accomplish in these Sunday morning teachings is to encourage people's faith while at the same time exposing those false beliefs that condemn the sick and makes them worse off than before the well-meaning brother or sister tried to help them. Have you ever been so excited about something that you wanted everyone to have it? I think sometimes that this is the case. And people's zeal for us gets them ahead of what God is doing in our lives. When ministering, God's people are to be led by the Holy Spirit rather than their zeal. He cares for the whole person and everything we do in ministering to others should be to advance that purpose. I think guilt-producing insinuation does the opposite. While obstacles to healing could exist, it does not mean that they always exist in every case and every time for every person. One of the things I'm hoping for in this sermon series is to increase our appreciation of and desire for divine healing while at the same time putting a stop to the judgmentalism that is often produced by erroneous teachings. I believe they too are one of the obstacles to genuine healing ministry. May God increase our understanding of His blessings and our grace for each other. There's nothing wrong in declaring that we are healed in advance of being healed, but it needs to come from our hearts and not from somebody's confession packet. If the symptoms are so severe that we can't do it, 
then we can wait until we feel better to start declaring the specific word that God himself gives to us. The power of declaring does not require pain to be present for it to work. All effective declaration requires is for a word to be made real by the Holy Spirit that it, and that it becomes the word of faith in our heart and in our mouth. Another case of condemning today is some of the so-called Christian disinformation that goes on over the airwaves. Another reason this condemning thing comes in is because of this disinformation that we all hear each week. If someone purchases things like the trouble-free package that is currently being marketed on, and I name the Christian networks, they might be tempted to believe that no one is to ever have trouble of any kind. But when they see a brother or sister with some sort of struggle going on, it shakes them up and they don't like it. So rather than questioning their own erroneous beliefs, they attack with the guilt-causing insinuation thing. If their troubled brother or sister would just snap out of it, then this newfound belief would be confirmed and they could go on living their deluded lives. A good word for the Holy Spirit to make real for all those who have been let, misled by this is what Jesus himself said in John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What Jesus also said about false prophets could help with their possible disillusionment also. My suggestion for you is to continue asking God for healing and running to the throne of grace in your hour of need according to Hebrews 4, 14-16. Can we turn there? He will either meet your need or give you the strength to endure until you are healed. When in pain, a good prayer to pray is, Jesus, help me! By the way, for someone with this, with this affliction... God has certainly enabled you to do some amazing things. You really are more than a conqueror, and God will be faithful to complete every good thing that he has begun in you. And if you knew who that was, you would certainly agree that person has done some amazing things since we've known that person. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you can't go to him and tell him about some struggle you're having that he doesn't understand. Because he became a human too. Lord, I've been betrayed. I feel let down. He knows what that's like. Verse 16, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I personally believe with all my heart that if a person is not healed, there is grace available to help them until they are healed. But I also believe that death isn't what some believers make it to be. It's our enemy, yeah. It causes pain. But at funerals, we don't weep for the deceased. We weep for ourselves. We're happy for them. That's the core of our faith if anything ever is. Brings me to my next letter. This is a tough one. But this is reality. Pastor Allen, I'm absolutely a believer in healing. However, my own son was not healed. I don't really have a good explanation as why he wasn't. 
We took him to the elders of our church, had him anointed with oil according to the Scriptures. And when I prayed for him, the Lord kept telling me that he was taking him home. Who knows there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. So this person was receiving information directly from the throne of God. I'm taking him home. I had a peace about this until I was criticized by someone that I should have pressed in for his healing. Was his healing up to me and my faith? Instead of hanging on to certain scriptures, I kept thinking to live as Christ and to die as gain. That comes out of Philippians. That seems odd even to me now. My husband and I both have been forever changed by watching this little 12-year-old boy suffer without complaint or fear. His name was Chad. I spent day and night with him for the three months he lived with cancer, a brain tumor, and there was no fear in him. He trusted God completely. I asked him if he was afraid, and he said, No, God has taken care of me. My son actually made it easier for me to let him go. Now, I'm reading excerpts from this. This isn't everything. If I was wrong in how I prayed for him, or if my faith was lacking, I really want to know. This has been a point of confusion for me. I have even suffered some years of guilt and regret Looking back on the situation, it's so hard for me to see his death as some kind of defeat. It just doesn't seem that way. It seems like he was a victor in all this. If Satan intended to destroy his life, he didn't succeed because Chad is alive in heaven. If he thought he'd destroy my marriage, he didn't succeed because my marriage is stronger than it ever was. If he thought we would curse God, he didn't succeed. We held on to God with both hands and wouldn't let go. This is when I really learned what it meant to worship God. I couldn't find any place to put Chad's death in the why people aren't healed categories that you've talked about. Thanks for addressing this subject. I promise I won't take offense to whatever you say, even though I may not have prayed in faith or done the right thing. God still gets the glory because He made all things work together for good just as He promised. You know what? That is true. Romans 8.28 All things Say all. Work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I know there's some that would like to take that out of the Bible, but it's there. Let's say goodbye to Bill. Phil. Bye, Phil. By the way, if you want to uh, verify that story about Phil, let me give you his phone number. His website is www.restorationhousechurch.com restorationhousechurch.com pastors in Highlands, Texas which is a suburb of East Houston I do have his phone number if you want it so here's my response to that dear mother who lost her child a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument you have had the experience of walking through a challenging trial and coming through it with a victory the people who don't understand it only have an argument May God forgive those brothers and sisters of ours who just don't understand and find it easier to condemn than to accept answers to questions they don't agree with. Keep on running to the throne of grace when you have a need and Jesus Christ will either meet your need or He will give you the strength you need to live victoriously in spite of your circumstances. Christianity is about a living and real relationship with Christ. It's not about working formulas or cooking up someone else's recipes for an overcoming lifestyle. To fight we must, and to win we will. But our fight is from a position of victory, and not for a position of victory. 
The truth is that we have already won and we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Here is a formula for you. In light of eternity, 12 years is no shorter of a life than 100 years because eternity minus 12 years equals... And eternity minus 100 years equals... It sounds to me like God gave you a rhema word to help you in your greatest hour of need when he made Philippians 1.21 so real to you. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You are definitely in better shape now than you would have been had your son had died anyway after having exhausted yourself doing all the recommendations of others. There are those to whom this has occurred and I've seen them, I've seen them wrestling with condemnation more than you have. You know, I just didn't fight enough. I just didn't say it loud enough. I just didn't tithe enough. I just didn't fast enough. I think Philippians 1.21 is still the answer you can give those who question you. It is the truth. I have a question for all of us who still don't understand. Why did Jesus weep before raising up Lazarus? I will attempt to answer this tomorrow. Jesus went to his friend Lazarus' tomb and wept. And then he said, Father, I know you hear me. He said, roll the stone away. He weeps, roll the stone away. He prays, Father, I know you hear me. And then he yells, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus comes out and he tells people, loose him and let him go. Why did he weep? We're still scratching our head on that one. Well, he wept maybe because of the unbelief around him. Well, there's plenty of other times. He didn't weep in Nazareth. never recorded in any other place. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. That's the first verse you memorized probably as a kid. Jesus wept. John, so on, you know. Why did he weep? Think about Lazarus. You know, he told the story of another Lazarus. You know, Lazarus and the rich man. That other Lazarus was in a place of comfort. Abraham's bosom. Lazarus was in the place, sleeping, resting, whatever happens with the dead prior to the cross. He's certainly not in the place where the rich man was. And if that place is anything like heaven, it's a place of no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sin, no more betrayal, no more offenses, no more fear, no more regrets, no more remorse, no more depression, no more guilt, no more condemnation. No more division. No more disease. No more deformity. No more lack. No more poverty. No more failure. He's about to bring him. See, Jesus knew where he was. He'd been there. He's about to have to bring him back. He loved him. The crowd seeing him weep said, oh, he must have really loved him. He had to bring him back to the place of more sorrow, more tears, more pain, more suffering. Eventually, Lazarus would have to die again. In just a few days, the Pharisees would be conspiring to kill Lazarus, putting an end to that resurrection story. So you see, God doesn't have the same view. And whether my theory is correct or not, I know this. God doesn't have the same view of death that we have. It really is the ultimate healing. 
And the song says, we will then be home free. If Jesus is the healer and someone is not healed, is there anything else He can do for them? No, they just have to lay in bed and be useless the rest of their life. It's not God's will. Cry out to Him. He will help. Until they are healed on this side or on the other side, He has a purpose for everyone to fulfill. And if the faith emphasizing preachers have taught us anything, it's on the power of complaining. We need to get that out of our life. Get rid of the complaining. Speak positive. And be honest. Don't live in denial. I don't have a cold. But live in faith. I'm going to be healed of a cold. Yes. Until that time comes, I'm going to do my best to not spread the germs. Praise the Lord. We pray. Lord Jesus, please take all these words and Make them edifying to your people. Lord, I pray you'd make the ministry of healing in this church more effective than ever before. And Lord, I ask you to remove all obstacles to healing, especially the lack of mercy, the lack of compassion in our own lives, Lord. May we truly experience sorrow for the misfortune of others. And Lord, with that, give us a passion to relieve the pain and remove the cause. To do our part and trust You to do Your part. Help us, Lord, to be a people that are truly led by the Spirit and not just by zeal. Lord, You're unique and You have a unique plan for each of us. And so, Lord, I ask that You cleanse us of cookie-cutter Christianity. That You make us effective ministers for You, effective in every condition that, find, that comes our way. Lord, may Your love find its destination through us to those who need Your love. Starting in our own homes, in our own congregation, in our own city and state, and around the world. Lord, I thank You for bringing, bringing Ryan Farron home safe and all those homes safe, Lord, this year that have gone on trips overseas. Lord, I pray that that kind of ministry would increase more and more in this church. But Lord, that the ministry of healing would increase more and more. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, I want to end with just a few minutes of prayer for people that maybe have felt condemned. Maybe people didn't try to make you feel condemned, but you felt condemned because you weren't healed. You haven't been healed yet, or maybe you are now, but... In the past, you, you weren't and you wrestled with that. Anybody like that? Felt condemned because you weren't healed or aren't healed or haven't been healed? Just raise your hand up and hold it up. Hold it up higher. All right, could you guys just stand? I really want us today to put a stop to that in our culture that we pray for the sick. But right now, I would like for us just to gather, those of us that are led to, Gather around these people. They have suffered because of physical challenges. And yet they've also suffered because of maybe zealous brothers and sisters that have made them question their faith, question their trust in God, question their, made them feel like God has rejected them or something, they've done something wrong. So if you could just look around and say, Lord, who could I go and pray for? And maybe even represent the body of Christ. Say, would you please forgive us for our overzealousness? 
and let ministry take place so that the person is relieved of that guilt. Pronounce freedom over them. And then pray for their healing. Maybe today they'll be healed.